Morning, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off the third chapter in Tractate Sukkah, page forty-one. A the mission. Look, they look at mission. Everybody shine in the beginning. In the beginning, they would shake lulav and in the tem- in the base of migdash. Rashi says literally inside the base of migdash, in the courtyard. If you're in the base of migdash, all seven days of Sukkot. Outside the base of migdash, in Yerushalayim, and outside anywhere outside the base of migdash, only one day. Because it says in the Torah, and it says. It says, So only the first day you're obligated to take the Lulav and the Aslik. It says, When you're before Hashem, standing before Hashem in this base of Igdosh, in his home, then you have to shake the Lulav and the all seven days. But the base of Igdosh, once the temple was destroyed, he was the rabbi during the destruction. The second temple, he instituted instituted they should shake all of an all seven days to commemorate the Beis HaMikdash to commemorate the Beis HaMikdash so before we shake so when we make a blessing it's only rabbinic after the first day it's only rabbinic another thing enacted is Kuliyos Teirus says you're not allowed to eat from the new wheat you're not allowed to eat from the new wheat or barley or the grains until they bring the Omer sacrifice with the new grain of barley, with the new grain. So the oymah was brought on the second day of Pesach. So up until the point when they brought the oymah, they were not allowed to eat from the new grain that grew that year until the oymah. Whenever they brought it in the temple, then it became permitted. When the temple is destroyed, there is no oymah. Once the temple is destroyed, there is no oymah, then you're really allowed to start eating chadosh, the new grain, from the morning. From the morning of the second day of Pesach. But that's biblical. Rabbi Echem ben Zakeh made an enactment that the entire day you're not allowed to eat. Eat any of the new grain. You have to wait till the night going into the third day of Pesach. And the Gemara will explain why. That's the mission. Talk to Gemara. Minolan, how do we know? 41a. Minolan, how do we know that? How do we know that we're obligated to commemorate the Pesach Mikdash? Rabbi Echem, Rabbi Echem, Saddam Akrat says in the Pesach, that I'm going to heal you from your wounds. I'm going to heal you. No, Hashem, because it was pushed away. No one, no one is acquire, inquiring or, or about Zion. So Hashem was complaining. Tzian was the Yishlaim was like pushed away and no one is inquiring after well-being. The cloud from here we learned the Baidrish Hashem wants us to search and to inquire about about the welfare of Tzian. So when it's destroyed and it's taken away from us, how do you know how precious something is to you? You don't know until it's taken away from you. So it was taken away from you and therefore you're constantly searching. You're missing. It's like your tooth is missing, your tongue is going to go back to your tooth, it's constantly hurting, you can't ignore it. If it's missing and it really bothers you, that means that it's really a part of you. It was really a part of you, but if it's missing and you don't care, no one is looking, no one is searching, no one is inquiring, that means it, was never, it wasn't real, it was never really a part of you. So therefore here we see that Yerushalayim, we have to do things to constantly remember Tzi and to constantly remember the Beis Hamikdash. Okay. 
Shem and if my time, but why did the Abraham and Zaka institute that after the destruction of the temple you're not allowed to eat from the new grain the entire day? Why? Biblically, I can eat from the morning. In the times of the Beis Hamikdash, I would eat whenever they brought the sacrifice, which was in the middle of the day. The whole day should be prohibited. Why? You can't say it's to commemorate the Beis Hamikdash. Commemorate the Beis Hamikdash, say half a day, but the whole day. In the time of the Beis Hamikdash, you're allowed to eat grain at some point in the day. Mm-hmm. So he says the reason is my time was the reason because Mehida even the Beis very quickly, very soon the Beis will be rebuilt and therefore the prohibition will start again I'm no longer, I no longer will be able to eat the new grain from the morning mm-hmm. I'll have to wait till they actually bring the sacrifice, the Omer sacrifice and they would say listen, once it was done didn't we eat? Maybe, right? Didn't we eat? We ate right away. When the day began, we immediately ate the new grain. So you won't distinguish, you won't know. Even now that there's a Besa Migdash, you're going to think it's okay to eat right because right, that's what we always did. So I grew up. So you won't know that now things change because the Besa Migdash is here. Mashiach came, the Besa Migdash. Now you're not allowed to eat until they bring the sacrifice. He won't know. last year, when there was no base there was no temple. As soon as as soon as the, the sun lit, as soon as the day began, you're allowed to eat it. The now now Hashem had mercy and there is a temple. You have to wait till the Yom. Right. So therefore, we prohibit today. So no one's going to come to make any. No one's going to come in to make any mistake. And therefore, they prohibited the entire. Okay. The mother asked, "Wait a minute. Let's examine this." Even the Amos, when was the temple built? If the temple is built today, on the second day of Pesach, it's already permitted. When, when the sun rose, when the sun shines, or dawn, it's permitted to eat. Because there was no temple when the sun rose, in the beginning of the day. In the middle of the day, suddenly there's a temple. Here you see, a temple could be built in a moment. It's, it's miraculous. In the same day, it's here. Suddenly the temple is here. I already am allowed to eat the new grain. There's no new prohibition. Now I don't have to wait for the Yomah. So what's the problem? Ella, you have to say, the Ibn Abachamizer was built on the 15th, on the first day of Pesach. Again, you're not allowed to build on Pesach. It's Yom Tif. It means it's a miraculous Pesach Migdash. Ibn Abachamizer, Machatzeis, Halam, If that's the case, it should be permitted from the middle of the day. Those who were distant, too far away from Yerushalayim, who didn't know when they actually brought the sacrifice. By noon, you can safely assume that the sacrifice was brought. They didn't wait. They brought the sacrifice as soon as possible so people can eat from the new grain. So even if you're away from Yerushalayim, I know by noontime, surely they brought the sacrifice and I'm allowed to eat it. So why a whole day? Why a whole day? What are you worried about? 
if you're going to tell me, well, maybe the temple will be built in the afternoon, and therefore once the temple is built, I have to wait till they bring the Yom. But it's not so. The temple is built on that afternoon of the second day of Pesach. It already became permitted in the morning. No one takes away that, that permit. Even if the temple is built, I'm allowed to eat the grain before you bring the Omer. So you must say the temple was built yesterday. So what am I afraid of? In the worst case scenario, by midnight, by noon, by midday, the, the, surely the Omer was already brought. So why ban the new grain a whole entire day? You should ban it until noon. Why? Because is not lazy. They know the entire Jewish people are dependent and are waiting to eat the new grain. You know what we needed? Even the Belayla. It was built at night. Or right next to the sunset. Going into the second day. And therefore, they won't have time to cut the Omer. It's a big deal. It's a big to-do. To cut, to harvest the Omer. They weren't ready. They caught unprepared. Mashiach suddenly came. Mashiach showed up, decided to show up after all these years and centuries. And, and suddenly he came. Suddenly he came. And now they had, now it's all to do. Now you got to prepare the Omer. You have to run to the field. You have to make sure you have to dry it. And you have to gather it. And you have to grind it, and you have to sift it. It's a whole, 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 whole procedure. So therefore, they won't have enough time to bring it by noontime the next day. So therefore, maybe they're not going to be able to bring it till late in the afternoon. So therefore, so if you're going to allow them to eat. Now there is no temple. You can allow them to eat. Afternoon, so Mashiach will come. They'll say, oh, so, okay, let's eat from the afternoon on. You're allowed to eat the new grain, not knowing that this year is different because Mashiach came yesterday. He decided to show up all of a sudden for a change. And he came, and they built the base of Miglosh last night. Now we got to bring a Neumann. They didn't know how busy they were. They ran to the fields. Rabbis who don't know what a field looks like, they, they have to suddenly learn all these laws and figure out how to do the Neumann. It has to be proper, it has to do the right way. By the time it's ready, they're not going to be able. It's not going to be ready till the afternoon, and then you won't be able to eat the new grain until until the afternoon. He heard from Rabbi Yechonel Ben Zakai. Rabbi Yechonel Ben Zakai is following with the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. But he preceded. Yeah, yeah, ben Zakai was one of the like a student of his students. Uh-huh. Yes, give a different explanation. Ben Zakai, who says the entire day is prohibited, he's following in the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, who was from the students of Rabbi Yehuda's students. Really, biblically, the whole day you're not allowed to eat from the new grain. It says, we continue on side B, 41B, until this day. Meaning, including the day. The entire day is prohibited. In the times of the Beis Hamikdash, in the times of the Temple, you're allowed to eat it once they bring the Oymah, the sacrifice. 
But in the time of when there's no temple, you're not allowed to eat from the new grain until the day passes. Including this day is prohibited. Including the second day until the night of the third, the third day. So therefore he holds, that's why, that's why he instituted to follow the opinion of Rabbi Huda that's biblically prohibited. Not there's any rabbinic prohibition. Because he holds his note, it's very far-fetched. You worry that the temple is going to be built at night. And therefore they won't have time. And they're going to bring the sacrifice late. So therefore, you're going to say to yourself, last year before the temple was built, we ate the new grain starting from noontime. So this year, not knowing, and now there's a temple, and they were delayed in bringing the omen. That's not the reason. The reason is, he holds like a Yehuda, that biblically today you're not allowed to eat the new grain until the second day passes. Not like the rabbis who disagree and says, Ad is not included, meaning until the essence of this day, until the sunrise of that day, or until right. dawn of that day, then you're allowed to eat. Right, literally. Right. Because we learned the Tanan, we learned the Mishnah, Mishchara, Besamikdash, once the temple is destroyed, this Rabbi Yechem ben Zakshi, even if Kaliyot, said, I'm late, Rabbi Yehuda. So Rabbi Yehuda said to Rabbi Yechonon, you make an enactment, while I'm not tired of us. Biblically, it's prohibited, not because of your enactment. You're saying you made an enactment, you're making an enactment, it's not a rabbinic enactment. It's biblically prohibited. Till this day, till the essence of this day, elsewhere the Tater says once you bring a sacrifice, you're allowed to eat it. Here it says until this day, including this day, you're not allowed to eat it. It's not a contradiction. When there's a temple, then once you bring the sacrifice, then it becomes permitted. That's the green light. From that moment on, you're allowed to eat the new grain. But if there's no temple, then the Tater says the essence of this day, including that day, you're not allowed to eat it. Hmm. how could you say that Rabbi Yechem ben Zakkai is following the opinion of Rabbi Huda? So you might answer Rabbi Huda Ukatoi. Rabbi Huda misunderstood. He made a mistake. He misunderstood Rabbi Yechem ben Zakkai. Who saw him with Rabbi Huda? He thought Rabbi Yechem ben Zakkai is making a rabbinic enactment. It's not so. Rabbi Yechem ben Zakkai is basing himself on the teachings of Rabbi Huda. Frank Mordechai Hiskin comes. He says he enacted. My Hiskin. What does it mean? He enacted Dorash. He expounded the verse to mean ad to include that day. The hiskin and he fixed because they used to follow the opinion that holds when the Torah says ad etzmayemes it means up until this day you're not a lati, but starting with this day you are a lati. Starting from the morning, and that's why that's that that's how they behave. That's what they did, following that understanding. So he fixed that and he says, no, you're misunderstanding the pasuk. The pasuk means ad etzmayemes it means including the day till not till but including that that it's prohibited. You have to wait till the day passes. Next mission. Look, the mission. Yom Tov Rishon Chagrali is a Shabbos. The first, when the first day of Yom Tov falls out on Shabbos, Kolayim Melichinus Levein Lebeis Akenesses. Everyone would bring the lulav to shul because he's not allowed to carry. So they had to bring it before Shabbos, before Yom Tov to shul. Because because the first day we're going to learn later the first day the first day you were allowed to shake the lulav and esrig even on Shabbos in the olden days they would shake the lulav and esrig even on Shabbos you don't blow shofar if a shana falls on Shabbos 
slices. But the first day, you blow, you shake the lulav and esrig if it falls out on Shabbos. Because since it's the only day that you're biblically obligated to shake the lulav and esrig, so therefore they, they would shake the lulav and esrig even on, on, on Shabbos, if the first day. But they can't carry, so they would bring it before Shabbos and leave it in Shul. Right. Lemachra is the next morning mashkimi. They would wake up early. They couldn't sleep at night. A whole year they didn't shake lulav and esrig. They couldn't wait to shake the lulav and the esrig. Uboyin kolechad veechad, and everyone would come. Uboyin would come to shul. Kolechad veechad makir shule. Everyone would recognize his own lulav and esrig. You know, he's paid enough money for it to recognize this is my lulav, this is my esrig. The night lenny would take it. They shamed the chamei. Not in yes, they go to be tradition. What do I care if I take someone else's? Because the rabbis say you don't fulfill your obligation if you borrow. Remember the first day you borrowed lulav and esrig, you don't fulfill your obligation. It has to be yours. You have to own it. The rest of the yomtiv, I don't care. You can borrow. You can fulfill your obligation by shaking your friend's lulav and says, what if it's the first day of Yom Tif, the first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos? By mistake, by mistake, he carried the Lulav to Shul. Forgetting that it's Shabbos, forgetting that I'll carry. You're exempt from bringing a sacrifice. You did not desecrate Shabbos. Why? Because since you were engaged in a mitzvah, this is a very important ruling. When you're engaged in a mitzvah and then you end up doing a sin by mistake, since you're engaged in a mitzvah, you, you, you're exempt, you're free. Hmm. It's not a sin, you're not an obligation. So he was busy with doing a mitzvah. Why did he carry? He was busy doing a mitzvah. He's carrying a little of an esrik to shake the little of an esrik, go to shul to shake the little of an esrik, to fulfill a mitzvah. So he made a mistake, and in the course of doing the mitzvah, he ended up unintentionally sinning. That sin doesn't count. You don't need an atonement. You don't have to bring a sacrifice. Yeah, you just learned something. That's the end of this mission. Dr. Gimbal, how do we know that a person does not fulfill his obligation by, 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 by the lulav and the esrik of his friend? He must only shake in his own lulav. You should take. You should take. That means. In the plural means that everyone should take their own lulav and esrik. Your own. You can't borrow. Okay, everyone has to shake themselves. You can't have the rabbi shake for everyone. Okay, everyone has to shake themselves. Fine. But maybe I can borrow. My friend shakes. Then I'll borrow from him and I'll shake myself. No, you have to own it. You can only shake your own lulav and esri. Not if it's borrowed, not if it's stolen. Here the rabbi said, you don't fulfill your obligation on the first day of Sukkot with the lulav of your friend Ella, unless unless he gives it to him as a gift. If he gives it to you, now it's yours. Now you own it. Now you can fulfill your obligation. You can shake your own lulav, shake it by yourself, and it's your own lulav. It tells a story. Rental is not ownership. No. My whatever you sure you're responsible, you rent it, you're responsible to the owner, you're not the owner. It has to be your, you have to own it. Rental doesn't count. My Sabram will live Rabbi Shur, Rabbi Lazar Mansar, Rabbi Kim. Right? The four rabbis together, Rabbi Mulil was the prince. 
the head of the Jewish Supreme Court, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Loza ben Azariah, took over Rabbi Gamaliel when Rabbi Gamaliel was impeached. Rabbi Akiva, Shaybay and Misfinil were traveling by boat. Rabbi Gamaliel was the only one who owned the Luluf. Shalaku Zuz. Why? There was such a scarcity. There was a drought year, there was a scarcity, and it cost him a thousand Zuz he paid for his Luluf and Maybe only Rabbi Gamaliel could afford such an expensive Luluf and it says a person that only has to, is obligated to spend twenty percent of your of your wealth, of your of your income, twenty percent of your of your possessions to do a, a positive mitzvah. You don't have to bankrupt yourself to do a positive mitzvah. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. So Rabbi Gamliel had a thousand zuz and he paid for a little. He's the only one. Not Rabbi Gamliel the Yatzebei. So Rabbi Gamliel fulfilled the obligation, fulfilled the mitzvah. It was the first day of Sukkot. They were on the boat and he shook the little nest. Then he gave it to Rabbi Shua as a gift. Not for Rabbi Shua, but once he gifted it to Rabbi Shua, now he owned it. Right. So he took it and he shook it and he fulfilled the mitzvah. Then Rabbi Shua went ahead and gifted it to Rabbi Shua. And he fulfilled the obligation because when he shook it, it was his. Then he gifted it to Rabbi Kiva, not Rabbi Kiva, but so he went, uh, he went, he took it and he, he fulfilled the mitzvah. And then he returned it, gave it back to Rabbi, he gifted it back to Rabbi Gamliel. The Gemara says, well, why, why is it important for us to know that he gave it back? What do I give? Yeah. It doesn't matter if he didn't give it back or not. The next day, they already fulfilled that mitzvah for the day. The next day, he can borrow it from each other. It doesn't matter who owned it. The Gemara says, By the way, he's teaching us. That a gift, even if you make a condition, I'm giving you a gift with the condition that you're going to gift it back to me. You're going to return it back to me. It's a valid gift. You can't say it's like a legal joke. What do you mean it's yours? It's not yours. I gave it to you on the condition that you give it back to me. Then you must give it back to me. If you don't give it back to me, you don't fulfill the condition, then my gift retroactively is not a gift. So what kind of gift is that? I'm gifting it to you? It seems like a legal fiction. I'm gifting it to you? It's yours? On one condition, you give it back to me? And if you don't give it back to me, then it's never yours? So what do you mean it's yours? It's not yours. You say no. That's what he's coming to teach me. That when you gift it to him, even that's a condition. It's like any other condition. I'm gifting it to you on the condition that you're going to climb Mount Everest. I can make any condition I want. If you fulfill the condition, then it's a gift. So this is a condition, it's a separate thing. I'm gifting it to you, now it's yours 100%. I'm making a condition, I'm gifting it to you on the condition, you're going to gift it back to me. Fine. But it doesn't take away from the, when the time that I'm gifting it to you, it's 100% valid, it's a gift, it's yours, you own it 100%. Unquestioned. Just follow the condition. If you don't follow the condition retroactively, I'm not giving it to you. Then, then you never fulfill the mitzvah. It's not yours. If you don't... For that moment, it's yours. Oh, you can ask about a koyin, a pidin aben. I give a koyin the five shekel, on one condition, he gives it back to me. <laughs> Just ask the question, what kind of gift is that? If, if, if you give a gift, and the owner, could the owner take now this gift when it's his? The little vessel, could I sanctify it to the temple and say it becomes holy to the temple? No. Because when he made a condition, he made a condition, you have to return it back to me the way I gave it to you. <laughs> you can't give me something that I can't use, I can't benefit, it's holy, it's no longer mine. 
You can't sanctify the well. This moment, it was mine for a minute, king for a minute, king for a day. So now it's mine. I'm going to sanctify it to this. I'm going to donate it. I'm going to sanctify it to the temple treasury. You can't do that because then you didn't fulfill your your obligation. Your condition is you're going to return it to me the way I gave it to you. It's mine. I can use it for my my own benefit. So what kind of what kind of gift is it? He says no, because you can sanctify it. You can sanctify it for that minute that it's yours. Yes, it's oh, it belongs to the temple treasury for a minute. <laughs> but then you give it back. Yes, you return it. Then it goes back to the original owner, and then it's his like it was before. Okay, it's a so very what's interesting concept. Of having so then, but then he can fulfill the mitzvah of shaking the lulav and the yesterday. He can do the mitzvah. It's his. When he shook the lulav and the yesterday, it's hundred percent his. That's the advantage. That's what's coming to teach us. Like Rav said, gave someone the esrog and he says, on the condition you're going to return it to me. If he took it, if he fulfilled the condition, Rav's condition, and he returned it to the original owner, then he fulfilled his obligation. But if he doesn't fulfill the obligation, because then retroactively, my gift is not a gift. I'm only giving to you as a gift if you're going to do what I ask. If you don't do what I ask, I never gifted to you, then you didn't fulfill the obligation of Ulu because when you shook it, it wasn't yours. Okay, then he asked, Why does he have to tell me that he, how much he paid for the lulav and the asli? It was so expensive. To let us know, how mitzvahs are precious. Mitzvahs are so precious that he was ready to pay a thousand zuz to fulfill the mitzvah. The son of Amemah said to Ravashi, Abba, my father Amemah, because he loved Lulav so much, he used to hold it while he davin. He didn't want to part from it. To show how precious the mitzvahs are. Usually when you davin, you want to ask, Meisvei, how could he hold How could he hold it while he was davening Shemin yesterday? It says, You're not allowed to davin and hold, hold tefillin in your hand. Or say potato, not wrapped on your hand, but hold it in your hand, or holding holding a say potato in your bosom, because it, it distracts from your davening. When you're davening, petitioning Hashem, you have to put everything down. Just talk, you can't carry something with you. So how is he allowed to hold a, hold a, a little of an essay in the middle of davening? And you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to hold the tefillin or the Torah. You're right, and urinate or, or sleep in them with your hands. Whether even if you're taking a, not only a permanent, a deep sleep, but even a nap. And Shmuel said, not only tefillin and Torah you're not allowed to hold, because you're busy, you're worried it's going to fall out of your hands, so, you, so therefore you're not concentrating on the davening on the Shemin yesterday. No, even sakin, ukara, kikar, even a knife. You, you're afraid it's going to fall and it's going to it's going to land on you. You're going to hurt yourself, or a full plate, or kikar, or a loaf of bread. If it falls, it's going to become disgusting. Moist money. You're afraid it's going to get lost. It's similar. Just giving an example. So therefore, how could you hold the lulav and that? Same problem. 
it, it may fall down and it's going to become disqualified. You're going to break the lula, break the esrik, the pitam will, will fall off. So you won't be able to concentrate. So how was Amemar allowed to hold the lula of an esrik while he was davening from an esrik? Yes, the mitzvah was beloved on him, but it, it distracts from the concentration of from there it's not a mitzvah so therefore he was, he was distracted by it he was worried since it's a mitzvah it's the mitzvah of the day the mitzvah of the day is to shake the lulav and the yeshvah so therefore since it's precious to him it's not difficult for him. it's a pleasure it's not like he, he's worried he's distracted it's going to take away from his concentration country he's holding it with so much pleasure he's holding it to, to be careful to make sure yeah Therefore, it's not going to take away from, from the concentration of the Shemadasi. Oh. Wow. There, it's a burden. So he's worried, he's distracted. Here, it's a mitzvah. So because it's so precious to him, it's not a burden for him. So he can, he can, do, he can, he can do two things at the same time. He can damage Shemadasi with total concentration because his soul is relaxed. He's at peace. Hmm. He's excited. He's inspired. And therefore, he can concentrate and hold it. It only enhances the Shemineser. Not only doesn't it distract the Shemineser, it's concentration, it enhances. Tani, we learn the Baraiz, Rabbi Lezer, Baraiz, Tzadigim, Kachay, Menogon, Shalanche, Yerushalay. This was the custom of the people of Jerusalem. A person would leave his house and he'd take his lulav with him. Wherever he would go. He would go to Shul, the lulav was in his hands. Just like a Meymar. He was reading the Shema and davening, he was still holding on the lulav. But if he's reading the Torah, or if he's carrying the Nasus Kapov, or he's a Koyan is Duchening, doing the priestly blessing, then he would place it on the, on the ground. He can't carry the Torah and the Lord and yes. No, when he's, when he's reading the Torah, when he's he's reading the Torah, you have to lift up the Torah, you have to have both hands to lift up the Torah, to open it, to close it. So you have to put down the Lord, you have no choice. When you're dochening, you have to put down. No, you have no choice. You have to read the Torah, and you can't lift up the Torah with both hands and hold the lulu. You can't dochen, do the priestly blessing with both hands and dochen. So you have no choice. You have to put it down. No, you have a mitzvah. You have an obligation to, to, to do the priestly blessing and to read the Torah. And then he goes after davening. What does he do? He runs to the hospital to do bikr chaylim. To comfort, to comfort the mourners. Love be others. Lulav in his hands. Nichnas the base medrash. When he comes to learn, I have to learn. You learn, I have to learn. I have to focus on learning. So Shagil, love biyad benoy biyad He sends a lulav home in the hands of his son, in the hands of his servant, the shluche or his agent. The agent. I come out. What's he coming to teach us? What, what's, what's it coming to teach us? What's Abelazar ben Tzad coming to teach us the way the custom of Yerushalayim was? The idea that they're coming to teach us to let us know how beloved the mitzvahs were by them. That they would, um, because they were so careful about mitzvahs, they weren't worried that it should fall, it's going to fall. They kept it with them all the time. You would think better safe than sorry. Only take the lulav and the asrik when you need it to do the mitzvah, then, then put it in a safe. No, they will carry it around all day whenever they could. It was so precious to them, so beloved to them. Wow. We'll stop over here. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful.